I'm Danny Walker, and you're listening to Radio Oedipus. Today we traverse the world of American craft beer. The flavours of American craft beer are what ignited the imagination of many of the breweries we enjoy today. And the popularity of craft beer in America has grown so much that it's consumers' number one choice for beer. Upright Brewing are a small craft brewery located in Portland, using a traditional open fermentation style of brewing. Alex Gannum, its founder and brewer, doesn't like labels and prefers a much more free approach to beer. As a brewer, he expresses himself using the rich agriculture of the world around him and by taking inspiration from music and art like the great jazz composer Charles Mingus. Also on the show, I chat to another group working hard to break down barriers within beer, Liz and Linda from the Pink Boot Society. Explain all about the work they do to make sure women are given a fair opportunity within the beer industry. But for now, our journey starts with a Zoom conversation I had with Alex and Sander. All that on today's Radio Oedipus. As the story goes, when I was kind of first started working at Oedipus and the story behind kind of Oedipus, the story goes that there was Sander and the other three guys were kind of blown away by the American flavours that they found within craft beer. And from doing my research about Upright, Alex, and yourself, it seems like maybe you got it the other the other way around. Uh, you kind of were interested in Belgian beers or maybe European beers. Would I be right in saying something like that? Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I kind of started into beer working at a local bottle shop called Belmont Station that's really well known for, uh, I mean, it's like Portland's bottle shop essentially, right? And, uh, and back then, this was in the early 2000s, it, it really was like the bottle shop in town. So if you wanted to get quirky beers or good imported beers, that's where you went. Mm. And uh, yeah, just by virtue of working there, I was lucky enough to experience uh, a lot of really cool European beers in a, in a steady stream. Every day I worked, I would just bring home new beers. Mm. And yeah, it was uh, easy to fall in love back then. Mm-hmm. How'd you end up there? Uh, I don't even remember. I was pretty young. I was 22 when I started working there. It was a long time ago. <laughs> okay. It was just a part-time job on the yeah. side. Or was it or you were full into it? It was part-time. Uh, no, I was just working there part-time. All right. But, uh, and yeah, back then I remember the store boasted that it sold uh, 400 different beers, which was really something else in 2002, which is kind of funny now because I think the store now it advertises like, 1600 or something like that yeah, it's bigger. Mm. Yeah. yeah you you know it's sunday is it is it a big place yeah I've been, yeah it, yeah it, yeah it's, it's a lot but yeah i think <laughs> uh i've seen massive bottle stores in the u.s that were like uh supermarket size you know that <laughs> have shelves and shelves and shelves of uh of yeah, like i think mostly there are liquor stores that can that also can become really big then and really with this supermarket setup that I don't really know here in uh, in the Netherlands or Europe, where I think bottle shops are often somewhat smaller, although there is a few here in town now that have also, I think, over a thousand uh, beers on the shelves. <laughs> yeah, nice, cool. And what's, how how much European beer is in the, in the bottle shop then, or was? I guess it's grown now. I feel like actually back then it was probably not... Not much less than what we have now. I mean, maybe it was even more, honestly, because I think what what swelled in the bottle shops over the years has been more local beer, domestic beer. Mm. Sure. Um, yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I think the maybe the demand for imported beers, like European beer, especially, is is not probably not as high, or I don't think it went up over the years. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. And. You you guys have brewed together a few times, or is it just the once? Ah, a, few times. a few times. Yeah, yeah, we've, we've made some beers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was reading about Donuts, the uh, the one you did 2016 together. I can, yeah. Oh, yeah. I can see uh, uh, there's a big Jay Diller connection there. And I know music's a pretty integral to Upright. Whose inspiration was it with Donuts then for the, for the Jay Diller-inspired Belgian Pale? I think that was Rick. Uh, I think yeah. every every collaboration we've done here, we've kind of scribbled down a recipe on a on a napkin or the back of a coaster or something like that. <laughs> and, uh, that was one that we came up with, and um, it was actually a lot of fun. It was kind of funny too, since uh, since we made that beer, I think like the sort of pastry style of beer has become really popular. <laughs> um, and even though that beer 
you know, it wasn't very sweet or it wasn't no, no, made no. in the way that like a modern pastry beer is. I mean, it was influenced by a, by a, an actual pastry. So it was <laughs> in a way, maybe it was ahead of its time. <laughs> yeah, it probably was. Yeah, it was kind of. Yeah. 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 I think the, the concept came up around the music. I think the, the year before or two years before, uh, Concepts were around uh, the barrel conductor or beat conductor and Mad Lib albums. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, Donuts We Brewed in Amsterdam. And um, yeah, actually, we were looking, so yeah, somehow we wanted to combine Orval like flavors, um, mm-hmm. like this typical Belgian, um, uh, yeah, a bit amber uh, color. Uh, we want to get those characteristics, but also some donut-like characteristics, but more looking into certain malt expression to have that bready, doughy kind of... And, and then the candy sugar that you can also get from Orval, uh, I think, yeah, it's it's different than the sugar sugary uh, layer that you can find on top of a donut. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah, I would like to brew it again. And, and somehow we never started speaking about putting any of that in a barrel or adding some bread to it but uh i think well, we, we did here been... in the, the batch that we made here yeah we did one barrel with uh fresh nectarines oh yeah, nice. yeah and, that was really good yeah yeah so that was kind of like a fruit donut you know oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sounds pretty good uh, but but like on the topic of uh music it's obvious to me that music has a big influence on uh, on upright Obviously, the the great composer Mingus is heavily uh, heavy undertones in the name. Uh, how influential is he, uh, or why is he such a big influence on, on you, Alex, and also at Upright? Yeah, I think he's he's one of the, for me, the most important American musician in the sense that he he really didn't. I think have any boundaries and that was something that we really appreciate in a, from a sort of a creative standpoint of feeling like you know you, you have to work within some sort of frame but at the same time you're able to define a lot of those those boundaries yourself and um i think mingus sort of gives you that inspiration to to let those boundaries be be pretty pretty loose and i think that's important it's easy to get i think caught up and maybe feel more confined than you have to uh, creatively. Yeah, well said, nice. But I, I, as I was uh, I was on the kind of thought train of thinking about upright, you know, upright can also mean an a, a honourable, trustworthy person within a community, you know, if you're an up, upright human being. How, how <laughs> important is kind of uh, Portland in, in terms of your, well, it's your local community and to who you are as a, a brewery? How important is it to, is it to be an upright member of that community? <laughs> I mean, it's the community here is special. I mean, especially as uh, I mean, it's it's kind of comical. A lot of people that maybe haven't visited don't realize that you can almost smell your way from brewery to brewery. I mean, you walk outside of wow. one, and then there's another one a few blocks away, and uh, and you can kind of just bounce around town that way. And so naturally, a lot of us the producers were, you know, we're all friends, you know, like the, the bartenders, the brewers, like we, we all hang out and, um, and the, the community, of course, it's important. It's just a beautiful thing. And I think it's, it's something to be embraced and, and also not take for granted. I asked you to uh, suggest some beers for us to drink and, uh, you've picked two outstanding beers. Uh, are you going to be joining us drinking a beer, uh, Alex, even though? Oh yeah. Good. I've even got the, Proper glassware, you recognize uh, that? Oh, nice. Uh, sure. got the yeah, International sure. Beer Festival glass. Nice. See if I have that. Nice. Okay, great. Do you uh, have a, a choice which one we would like to kick off with? Uh, maybe the the double X because the the smoked beer might might be a little strong to to have first. Yeah, sure. Usually I'm not picky about the order of what I drink, but uh, smoked beer... Smoked beer is an exception, I think. Oh, it's fine, yeah. Give us a bit of an intro to this beer then, Alex. Why why have you chosen this one for us to drink? Uh, one of the things I've always appreciated about this beer is that it's, at least here in the States, it was one of the few, uh, very few 
Belgian beers that that had a significant hop presence and uh, and I you know I really wonder you know that there's got to be a lot of a lot of beers being made in Belgium that have a nice nice hop character but I think the ones that that kind of showed up on our shore over here they tend to be just the more east forward beers and uh and I think a lot of people here in the states thought of Belgian beers just never being hoppy mm. um and so it's kind of nice to have uh, something with that character coming from there. Mm. That's actually not even there. I uh, I lived in the impression with the impression uh, that Belgian beers didn't have any hot presence for a while because I think most most of the, also the majority of the Belgian beers you find here are yeast forward or malt forward have the caramelly malt base and yeah, if you're not looking good enough you you you. Yeah, won't come across excess bitter. Or if you have an Orval that's uh, a bit aged, then you know the hot presence is uh, overwhelmed with the bread character. Or yeah. if you're looking for subtleties um, in that hop characteristics, it's not the Citra Bomb, of course, or another modern uh, super expressive hop varieties that you find in the hoppy beers that are around. But uh, they're definitely there. So on on the kind of tone of uh, Belgian beers, you, you've you've mentioned it earlier, but you you brew open fermentation vessels, which is um, a, a style of brewing that is commonly found in Belgium. When you were starting out, well, is it? Is, well, the, 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 this is it. The, is it the, the Belgian inspiration that got you there? Uh, well, I I kind of took the the open fermentation idea from uh, my short time at Brewery Omegang. Okay. And uh, so, of course, they were doing Belgian style beers there, but um, I think that they were probably more popularized in, in the UK. Ah, yeah. okay. Well, what, why right? was, like Samuel Smith and. What, why was the choice and, for this then when you were starting out for, to go for this style of brewing? Uh, I did really enjoy working with the open fermenters when I was at Oma Gang. Um, and I was really impressed with the. the health of the yeast that you could pull from the top um as opposed to the the yeast coming off the cone you know in a typical tank um it felt like the the profiles of the beer too were i think like a little bit more balanced with the fermentation character um so with the uh, sort of belgian-esque yeast or saison yeast there was um I think a better balance between the esters and the, and the phenolic compounds coming from the open tanks than from a closed tank. But yeah, they're, they're fun to use though, for sure. I mean, it, there's part of it is just a feel also, right? I mean, it, it's just kind of nice to be tied to a, maybe a little bit more of a, an old style mm. or an old process. Yeah. I think I was chatting to Sandra about this the other day and I made the analogy about uh, kind of people that are interested in music or, or both me and Sandra are big cyclists and Sandra has a big collection of old vintage bicycles you know it's kind of like wanting to use these old styles and appreciating them and and still 20 years or a- after they were made still using them because they hold so much character oh yeah and you know sometimes you, you don't need to just keep reinventing things necessarily you know I have a buddy who uh who's really into into audio and uh you know he, he sells a lot of like like really high-end like pretty wild audio equipment but he's always saying that a lot of the a lot of these designs were were really dialed in many many decades ago you know if you look right. at some of the the high-end speakers from the 50s and 60s and you know the a lot of the the great sound was happening back then mm. don't make them like they used to <laughs> but how how, uh, how do you feel about this choice now? Is it still do you still enjoying using that um, brewing style, or is it your Achilles heel? Who who? Which way do you feel? You mean with the open fermentation? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's it's limiting um, for certain because there's not many yeast strains that that crop well because um, they basically if if they don't make a thick enough layer on the top then you're not going to be able to, to crop it properly and reuse the yeast. And, um, and there's not many strains that really come up to the top in, in a nice, in a nice quantity. Um, so. You've tried sense, a lot. 
Sorry to interrupt, but oh, you, yeah. you we, tried we, a lot, we, like every strain we, around you've, you've been throwing we, into your fermenter? We, we've used a lot. I mean, and we we use some that we know aren't going to come to the top. And and so, but that's going in with the, you know, the understanding that we're not going to get an extra, an extra harvest off of it. And, uh, but there's been some where, you know, we've been surprised that they haven't, or they, they come close, but like not quite, you know, they come up in sort of a loose fashion and you can't really get enough to get a, a proper pitch on the next broom. Um, yeah, it's, it's been pretty funny. We had one strain once that we used, uh, that it, it actually, it, too much of it came to the top and, uh, and it got, it got kind of stuck. You know, and we, we had to punch it down like oh, yeah. twice a day from the <laughs> so lid. Yeah, it, it was it crazy. the fermenter. <laughs> I mean, did you have the the idea when you started to brewery that you would, or did you have the um, the um, the ambition to work with maybe only one house culture to maybe go in this quest and find the right yeast cult strain or yeast culture to use in your brewery in your environment and then stick to that or have you always been looking for uh, a, a range of different yeasts and, and and just trying out whatever comes around yeah no when we began we certainly had the intention of of just finding a strain that we liked that worked and sticking with it but um yeah that didn't last very long you know okay. until you just kind of get the 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 bug to to try new things and, and see what else is out there. And, uh, and that carries on today. I mean, actually probably more than ever, we're, we're switching up our yeast strains. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's also I mean, much bigger. There's a, there's a lot of strains out there, right? Exactly. So. And, and more and more coming out every day or not every day, but, uh, no, I mean, damn near. I mean, uh, honestly, you know, there, there was a, a period, this was, um, many, many years ago, but, we actually sent um, a bottle of the of the Daranka beer to uh, one of our yeast suppliers and asked them if they could um, isolate the the main strain in the bottle for us, and uh, and we used that for a couple months. Okay, nice. you know, and, and like, and we've done that like uh, more than once. You know, where we've taken a, another commercial beer and, and asked the lab to isolate it for us and. And just you know, giving it a shot, just trying to find new new things. Mm. Yeah, because that is that is often uh, what Belgian breweries do. That they have a house yeast strain or culture that they uh, use for every beer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think including the Ranke, the majority of their beers are with their uh, house strain. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, but that wasn't always the goal or the ambition for you, or was it? Like I said it, early on, it, I, it was hopeful that it would work out that way but yeah, um, yeah it's it's hard to sit still and and <laughs> even if the beers are tasting good i think it's it you get tired of doing the same thing all the time and uh right. and you, you get curious about all right how can we make this more interesting how can we, how can we make it tastier how can we make it better and um there, i feel like there's always room to make the beers better you know mm -hmm. i mean as a brewer you you know like it's maybe once every five or 10 years, you make a beer and you say, this is perfect. I'm, I'm actually happy with this. You know, all the other times, maybe, maybe you like it like 90% or 70%. You know, I feel like there's, there's always little tweaks you can make. Sure. Um, and, and fortunately, like our process doesn't take too long. You know, I always think about the poor, you know, like distillers, you know, people making whiskey. I don't know how you make adjustments there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How do, how do people view your beer in the states, Alex? What what are you kind of known for? Uh, hopefully, they like it, right? Yeah, well, that, <laughs> no, I, I think you've, you've I, stood uh, the test of time—twelve years, right? So someone must be drinking <laughs> it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I feel like um, you know we the we've kept upright pretty small um, for sure, and uh, and I feel that. I'd like to think that people know us for not being maybe like overly ambitious and, and kind of a more focused brewery. Um, but at the same time, I think that maybe we're sort of misunderstood in that people view us as r really being fixated on farmhouse style beers. 
Um, but the reality is that we, we have a pretty even focus over, you know, different, different styles. Um, we've always enjoyed making German style beers. We're, we're really enjoying making the, the UK stuff these days. And, uh, you know, we started making IPAs a few years ago and, and the way that we've made the IPAs has changed a lot over the years. And, and, th- and that's something too, where like we've switched the, the yeast that we use in the IPAs several times already. Um, even as recently as just a few months ago. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, it's, we're certainly a brewery that doesn't like to be pigeonholed. Um, but unfortunately, I think in the United States, people, people really like to slap labels on and, and sort of compartmentalize as much as they can. Mm. And uh, we, we don't, we don't do well with that. <laughs> Is that in, internally, you don't like that? Or does it do you think it's not good for kind of the, the beer scene and development, everyone being pigeonholed as particular breweries? Or is that just a personal, I don't like being labeled? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a personal thing. I mean, I, I don't, when I get into a new, whatever it is, I mean, let's say we're just talking about beverages for now, but this could be true of, of many other things. Um, any sort of sensory experience. Like I want to, I want to go into it as, as open as I can, you know, and I feel like the, the fewer expectations you have, the better, you know, I'm the kind of guy that if I go to see a movie, like I don't want to see the trailer ahead of time. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, uh, and for, for me, like, I, I really appreciate the experience of, of having something be, be fresh, be lively, be able to just sort of, be with it in the moment. Um, I, I, I enjoy that in, in a personal way um, very much. And I feel like it, for me, it makes the experiences better. It makes the experiences greater. And uh, so naturally I would like people to, to have that same sort of experience with, with my beers, if they're enjoying them. Um, I mean, people need to drink how they want to drink and go into things. how they want to go into things, but I mean, if you ask me, the the ideal way to go into a, any sort of sensory experience is, is as open as possible. How do you then apply that to when you approach it, developing a new beer? Then, do you tr- do you what do you draw influence from? And well, I mean, that's kind of the the sort of beauty, and I think that sort of open approach is that. Again, this maybe alludes to when we were talking about Mingus and and not having very tight boundaries. Um, I think it allows you to, to formulate in a way that it's very free. Um, and that's important because maybe some of the, the better ideas will, will be born out of this sense that, that you don't have to be following any guidelines or, or have, have a target with outside influence. I think your, your target becomes kind of a more pure creative expression. And maybe that sounds a little fluffy or flowery, but uh, I really do believe it. Does that make it, any sense? No, it does. Yeah, yeah, it certainly sure. does. You also spoke about uh, you being viewed as, as this focused brewery, or was mm-hmm. is it also your your own uh, your own uh, impression of what you guys are doing? Because uh, having no boundaries and being very open, uh, what you just spoke about, and having also a focus, doesn't that contradict? Yeah, I suppose so. It kind of depends what we're talking about. I mean, I think that maybe, I think, and maybe like within the industry, I feel focused because I look at some of the breweries around me and I think, wow, like some of these guys are making new beers like every week or two. Right. You know, and they go over the course of a calendar year and they've made like a hundred or 200 different beers. And uh, that's certainly not not what we're going to do at, at upright. You know what I mean? Like, so when I say focus, I mean that we're not, we're not too quick to jump from one project to the next. We want to, we want to kind of hone in on the things that we are working on. Now, is it, is it kind of difficult to be a craft brewery who respects uh, like these traditional uh, brewing process, or you have this more focused approach where you put out beers uh, maybe in your own tempo? Is it harder to be a brewery like that or, because of the maturity of the scene, has it allowed kind of the success to be kind of a, a smaller brewery uh, that's a bit more niche and specialized to also kind of have room to grow and succeed? Yeah, I think it's, it's both those things. I mean, it, we're able to exist because we stay small. Um, I think it would be 
possible to to produce more of the beers that we are doing, but it would be tricky to find ways to to make that sort of a, a healthy, viable business. Um, and at that point, you know, I think that the the business starts spiraling out, right? Like you start getting distracted if if you know you have to have all these layers of like how are we going to sell this higher quantity of beer. But at the end of the day, like that's not important to us. Like what's important to us at Upright is to just do what we want to do and make it just viable enough so that we we survive. I mean, we know we're not going to make a million dollars running the brewery the way that we are, um, but we just want to be able to run it and and have a you know a normal livelihood out of it. And uh, I think that that's certainly possible with with uh, the market the way it is now. Is it easy? Is it challenging? Uh, you know, it's, it definitely leans challenging, I think. Um, but so long as it's possible, that's all that matters. Mm-hmm. What's the kind of Portland scene like for a, for a person that's never been? Is it competitive or is everyone kind of brothers and sisters in arms? Uh, oh, yeah, I, I'd say it overall has a very sort of welcoming, positive, friendly, you know, aspect to it. Um, but it's, you know, Portland's not a very big city either. I mean, we, we don't have a, you know, a huge population here. So there's, there's a lot of breweries and, and then also competing, you know, bottle shops and, you know, beer focused bars, um, for, for not, uh, you know, a ton of clientele necessarily. Mm-hmm. So it can be competitive in that regard, but, um, but everybody seems to help each other out um, business wise. Mm. And, and like, I might be uh, it might be difficult to kind of answer this, but how do people view craft beer in the US? Because here it's kind of, in my opinion, people who are younger, they like good food and drink, they're kind of living in the city, they get paid a decent, uh, an okay amount of money to be able to pay the extra for uh, craft beer, you know? How does that compare? Because like I said that craft beer is, is basically the most consumed beer there. How do people view it? Uh, yeah, that's that's a tough call. I mean, it's obviously it's it's different for different folks. Um, but to, to answer that question in some sort of like general sense, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that that's a tough one. That, that's a tough one. I'm not sure how I would answer that honestly. It's hard, isn't it? Because it's something you you say day, seven days a week, and I guess it's hard to kind of. Uh figure out how it's viewed but how maybe maybe we should ask sander because he's the only person that's been in both places how do you think craft beer is viewed in in the u.s yeah i think it, it's it became somewhat of the norm you mm. know that there's if there are so many uh breweries around and i think uh, all these breweries correct me if i'm wrong or at least most of them they sell on site and have some kind of tap room kind of thing going on where either uh you would sit down and have a beer or take something uh, take a six pack uh, home with you or wherever you want to uh, go and, and and drink it um but i've been uh, uh yeah so um impressed by cycling through the city and literally every block you see some stainless steel vessels uh, through some window and and i think that makes it also very normal just to uh go out whether you're at work and you want to go for lunch you go to a brewery or a brew pub or you go somewhere where there's food and there might be beer or there might not be beer and if you want to have something to drink in the evening you go to a brewery mm. you know because there's what there's probably a few in walking distance uh and i think that's that's something uh yeah unique to, uh, for portland and something we don't see in amsterdam and especially when we started most of the regular bars didn't have any craft beer they had some more belgian focused specialty beer somewhat bigger brands to see around and it has been changing i think amsterdam this is not it's also not a big city but we don't have a lot of breweries here yet uh, but I, and uh, honestly, I don't see it uh, moving towards a situation that you have in Portland, where there's yeah so so many small uh, small uh, breweries. Um, yeah, I think that's different. And 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 compared to other cities in the US, where I've been, it, it's also 
pretty unique what's going on in Portland. And I think, yeah, people, it became the norm, you know, that you just walk down the street and, and pick up your six pack instead of going to a supermarket to buy a case of whatever, uh, what's going on here. Or uh, I think also in other, maybe also other parts of the US that's more the norm, uh, but definitely here in the Netherlands. Yeah, the the normalization of craft beer is, you know, it's something that li- living here, you, you forget about, right? Yeah. I mean, I've been here for nearly half my life now, but even if you go to like the the big supermarket, there's a whole aisle full of, of good craft beer, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so it's it's just everywhere. You're kind of just surrounded by it. Well, Portland is kind of, it, it is one of, or at least surrounds, it's one of the first hotspots in terms of craft beer, isn't it? As well as San Francisco, California, and uh, Colorado, I guess. Um, and, I, and I also was doing some research about uh, the area as well. There's this term that Sandra informed me about, like Cascadia, with this agriculturally rich uh, area. All these good things that make it kind of a haven for, for beer. And there is also this growing movement within craft beer, talking about terroir in, in craft beer. Is that something that interests you as a brewer with the kind of open fermentation style, yeah, open to kind of uh, obviously letting the environment do its work? Or is that something that you don't really think about being in that environment that's already naturally rich in in, in good produce? Uh, oh, yeah. I think it's, it's really nice to allow um, maybe like a, an expression of the ingredients to come through in the beer. I think that's something that's really important to me. Um, you know, water being a part of that too. And so for me, you know, talking about terroir is, is really about, is about that. It's about like ingredient expression. Um, and, uh, the ingredients are obviously born from a specific place. And so I, anything you can do to get, get those kind of nuances where you're, the point is that you're, you're picking up on those differences, you know, like it's a nuance because there's something distinct about it. And, uh, anytime you can get that to come across in a way that's sort of harmonious or pleasant, then I, I mean I think that's what inches you towards something special, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Is is the particular ingredients or distinctions that you like working with, or really, yeah, yeah that you like working with? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I really enjoy like everything that we get to work with. I mean, it's funny because even though we're we're not known as like a hoppy beer producer, I really do enjoy working with hops. Um, and then, of course, all the fruit out here is really fun. Um, but there's there's lots of fun stuff to play with. I mean, you know, s- some of the beers we produce, you know, I'm using like different botanicals that I grow in my backyard. Mm-hmm. Um, we work with some local farms with with other kind of peculiar ingredients, you know, specific stuff. So it's, you know, it's just a lot of fun. There's a lot of detail in it. What gives you most thrill as a brewer? What uh, using... Uh, which ingredients or playing around with different kind of ingredients? Is it, is it the yeast? Is it, uh, fruits? Is it hops? What gives you the most thrill? I think the, the botanical stuff is the most thrilling because it's, it's difficult. Um, especially when you're using things for the first time, you know, we have a beer that we've done for a long, long time called Flora Rustica that uses yarrow and calendula flowers, you know, in addition to hops. And uh, we've, we've been making this beer since we began in 2009. But I think that this year, I'd like to add uh, a new herb called rue. And the only reason I stumbled on rue is because I got a bottle of grappa that had rue in it. And apparently it's a traditional Italian thing to put rue in the grappa. And I just love the flavor. And I, I had the grappa a few times and I thought, gosh, like I, I'd really like to work this into a beer. So I think I'm going to try to work it into this beer that we've essentially made more or less unchanged for a decade. And um, and so stuff like that is really exciting for me because the, the roux is very potent. So trying to figure out how to incorporate it into the beer, it feels like pretty uncharted territory. I don't think there's many brewers I can call to get advice on this i think i'm gonna have to figure it out on my own (laughs) and uh and i like that i think i I sort of embrace that kind of whatever you want to call it i wouldn't call it a problem but it's uh it's something (laughs) (laughs) i'm just going to interrupt the conversation with alex and sander to introduce you to the pink boot society 
Beer often looks to the past for inspiration, but more time should be spent tackling the current topics. And Pink Boot Society are a group promoting diversity for women within the beer industry. And you can now hear a conversation I had with two of its members, Liz and Linda. Maybe a good starting point for this conversation would be for just start by sharing with us the work that you do and uh, why it is so necessary. Well, I think part of why we're we're doing what we're doing um, is that our industry is a really wonderful and special place. Um, but we can certainly end up with situations where maybe not everyone feels welcome in certain spaces. It can be difficult to walk into a room where most folks are different from you, but similar to each other. Um, and I think for, for some women in beer, that's not what they've experienced and that's great, but a lot of women have. Um, and so for me, the biggest reason to be working on a project like Pink Boots is just that we can all kind of get to know each other and spend time together and have there be a room where we can feel like our our gender is not an interesting topic of discussion. Like, I'm remembering being introduced to a man at a brewery once who said, Liz, it's great to meet you. My name is Name, and I love women. Mm. And I, I, I didn't know how to respond to that. And sometimes, yeah, we just want to spend some time together and, and not have that be what we're talking about. Like, yes, I'm a woman in the beer industry. I know that that is a little bit unusual. Um, but let's talk about beer, you know? Yeah, exactly. I, I totally agree on that, Liz. That, uh, it's just nice to be around women. And, um, and it's also not that we're, when we're around each other, that it's only about um, uh, all the negative stuff in the beer industry. It's also, like you said, just talking about beer, just talk about stuff that we love to talk about. And yeah, of course, for me, one of the drivers to be in Pink Boots is to... Um, yeah, to, to also create a platform where people can go through when they, um, yeah, when they feel that there is something wrong within uh, within their workplace. When um, I think for a lot of women, and including me, when I was first exper- experiencing uh, sexism, I really thought it was me. It is really the cliche of men telling you, "Oh, it was just a joke," or "Oh, it's you. It's not me." We. Uh, we had the best intentions or something. And then you really start doubting yourself. And then you meet a woman and she tells you, this is sexism. This is not normal. And you can talk about it. And yeah, and then you, then you discover that there was something wrong and it wasn't you. And for me, this is one of the drivers for me to be in Pink Boots, I think. Can, yeah. Can you maybe give some more examples about the, the work that you do? in order to kind of assist and encourage women within beer? Right now, since we just started our chapter, it's uh, mostly reaching out to the community. So creating a community in the first place and have network events, yeah, mostly online right now, of course, and just talk to each other, just have informal talks. And in the near future, this will be more like bigger events mm-hmm. with certain where certain topics will be discussed. But for now, it's just to get to know each other, get to know Pink Boots, um, yeah, a lot of women don't know each other because we're such a big chapter. We're covering Netherlands, Benelux and Luxembourg. So for us as a port, it's also like, oh, hey, there are people out there. Just get to know each other on like a really informal base. So when I first moved to the Netherlands from the U.S., I remember having a hard time finding other women in the brewing industry here. And I ended up emailing somebody from the Pink Boots Society in the United States who then said, oh, I know someone in Belgium, put me in touch with her. And then she put me in touch with the folks at Neville. (laughs) And that's, I think, how I ended up meeting you. And, And the longer I'm involved with the Dutch beer industry, the more I see that they're there is some diversity here. Um, 
there are a lot of women in the industry. We have a lot of women at Oedipus as well. Um, I should not have needed to email somebody in the United States just to meet you. Um, and it's it's been wonderful to to know you and and to offer you support and you've supported me quite a lot. Um, and I would, I would love to just provide an easy way for women in the beer industry here to, to connect with each other and support each other. And, you know, the whole point of what we do in this industry is make a delicious beverage that makes people want to gather around it and spend time together. I do find find the history of the organization really interesting. Um, I've received some pushback from from some people. You know, why would you call it pink boots? Why do you have to make it so Barbie pink? Um, but the founder of the organization um, is this amazing brewer um, whose lectures I've really enjoyed. Her name is Terry Ferendorf, um, and she's been in this industry for a long time. And when she first started in this industry, she could not find good boots in her size. You know, it, when you're brewing, um, for those who don't know, like we're dealing with really high temperatures, we're dealing with a lot of chemicals. So we need really good boots. Um, so it needs to be chemical resistant, needs to be waterproof, needs to have steel toes. Um, you need just like very, very good, tough boots for this work. She couldn't find any boots in her size that weren't pink. <laughs> it's crazy really, isn't it? Yeah. And, and in some ways I think, uh, pink boot society has gotten so big that, that now it's almost like the pink boots have come back in style. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Originally it was a problem and now everybody wants them. <laughs> but I, I wanted to ask you, I wanted to ask you both, um, what was the reaction by, other women when you first started this chapter were you both surprised by the amount of women already working in the industry or was it was it the opposite were women looking for encouragement to get into the world of beer mostly amazed by the reaction of men actually ah. men were super supportive because oh. i think i think the first within the first two or three months that our chapter existed we had this um lecture at the Dutch craft beer conference where we met, uh, yeah, mostly male brewers or men from the Dutch beer industry, and they were all super supportive. A lot of breweries said, like, "Oh yeah," and we want to give um, uh, the women who work with us. We want to we want to pay for their membership, and we really we definitely want to support this, and we think this is a great initiative. And yeah, I was really surprised by that. Not that I didn't expect it, but I didn't expect either that they would be like immediately like, oh yes, we will just pay for their membership and just take full <laughs> action. That was more, that was price huh? And what other things and projects have you kind of worked on? I wanted to uh, mention that I saw that you you made a beer with uh, Capsa, who I, I, I was chatting with Chioma uh, a few weeks back. But maybe you can talk a little bit about that collaboration and how that went down. Yeah, so this was for International Women's Day last year. So we have this global collaboration brew day for the uh, 8th of March. But then Corona came. And then so we planned it, we postponed it a little bit. And then Corona came again. And then we postponed it even more. So we ended up with having a brew day, I think, in September, October or something. And this was for the global uh, collaboration brew day. And um, yeah, we invited as many women as possible for the day. But of course, yeah, we, there were restrictions, so it couldn't have been that many. Um, yeah, which was really cool. Uh, we used the hops that Yakima Chief Hops every year uh, provides for this um, for this event. So I think there are chapters in the US who um, basically blend this hop blend together, and they make like a cool event day out of it. And then Yakima Chief will give, I think, $3 per pound to Pink Boots when you use this. It's even called the Pink Boots Help Blend. And we use that for, uh, I think, a pale ale with, oh, no, say it right, uh, hibiscus. What's the ideal environment for Pink Boots? I'm talking about the future here. What, what would you hope to achieve? That we're not necessary anymore. That's the... Uh... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah that nice. it is so normal and so comfortable 
for women to be working in the beer industry and brewing industries overall, that there is no need for an organization like this and no need to be having these conversations. For now, we've got some work to do, but yeah, but also I let's think get it the, done. <laughs> also with the whole education thing, I think it's more started like because we find out mostly on a yeah, on a later age that that we want to do something with beer and therefore we have like we don't have a background in beer so we need to catch up on that by yeah taking some education while in the future if it's becoming more normal then women of the age of 18 will already start a brewing education which would be really cool and then yeah you don't have that knowledge gap and yeah i think I still think there will be a need to have a platform but more uh, yeah i think the platform will be different it won't be a pink boots uh, uh, I think it might be good for you guys now to share with people how how uh, they can support you, uh, how people can get involved and anything else you think would be important to share. So we do have a Facebook page by, uh, where uh, women in beer or in other fermented uh, beverages industries can, can go to. I think it's just called Pink Boots Benelux or something like that. And um, they can just see what we're doing and just reach out through there. And um, if you're really interested, then you can take up on a membership uh, with us. I think it's right now $25 a year because of Corona. And um, yeah, so I think the only requirement that they have is that you earn 25% of your income through working in the fermented beverage industry. Okay. And um, in the future, we're planning to do events that are also open to men and to non-members. So it's also for aspiring members. And uh, yeah, right now, yeah, everyone who works in beer is just um, invited, even if you don't have an official membership, just to have, yeah, to keep it open and to, uh, yeah, to create a platform. Yeah, we're really in the early stages. So I think the platform is more important right now. Just like Linda mentioned, you can find more information about the Pink Boot Society via their social media pages. The work they do is specifically focused on the Benelux area of Europe, but there are similar initiatives all around the world. If you do have any questions, please get in touch with them or with us via the address radio at odipus.com. Now back to the conversation with Alex and Sander. I was going to ask if you guys mind if I open up my Shankala, but I can see that Alex is already drinking his, I think. Oh, yeah. It's, it's already I'll 10 a.m. over here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, cool. So I'm going to go ahead and open mine. I really enjoyed the, the XX Bitter. But um, again, Alex, I'm going to ask you, why did you choose this beer? Uh, oh, I think smoked beer is kind of another uh, maybe maybe brewers type beer right and i thought you know maybe uh i don't know if sander and i have ever talked about smoked beer but i have a hunch that most professional brewers enjoy smoked beer so i thought it would be a a nice one to enjoy together yeah i definitely like it for sure uh i think it's also a bit of a love or hate thing you know i know also people that don't like smoky stuff and or at least in their drinks uh i definitely do like it and is there a specific reason why you chose this one? Their uh, Christmas seasonal uh, oak smoked double buck. Oh, it, it just been a, a long time since I had it, All so right. I was kind of looking to to revisit it. So obviously, due to the distance, getting American beers is uh, well, it's it's not hard to come by. They are here, but they're they're pricey or they're not always fresh. And I know again, going back to what I said at the beginning, that Sanders spoke about the american business that he used to get hold of in the, in the in the beer temple i was always told these stories when i first met sander and there was a particular excitement about about beers arriving from certain breweries i was wondering because we've we have chosen a, a belgian beer and a german beer what the perspective is the other way around how do people view belgian beers dutch beers german beers in america oh gosh i mean it, it depends on the on the beer, but I mean, honestly, like so much of the focus is turned local here that I don't think that there's a very, like, I wouldn't say that there's a very big excitement for, for imported beers right mm-hmm. now. Um, it's certainly waned in, uh, I mean, and, and it makes sense. I mean, it's natural. There, there's so many local products being made right now that, uh, 
I think the the imported stuff is sort of getting like lost in the in the sea. I have a I have a question about how because you also have worked with other local producers, haven't you? You've kind of worked with. Uh, I saw that on your website that you've worked with a local vineyard for certain beers. Oh yeah, is that kind of collaboration with other local producers important to you as as development or, or why why is that good? In a sense, it goes to like the heart of what I would consider. Um. The, the most important aspect of the farmhouse style brewing to me is, is sort of a functionality aspect. And uh, a lot of people, you know, there's, there's, there's times and reasons to sort of romanticize craft brewing, right? And then there's, there's other moments when a, a lot of it is really just it's what makes sense, you know, what's functional, like, and what, what just kind of pencils out. And I think a lot of farmhouse brewing which is, I think, easy to romanticize is, is actually built on, at least historically, you know, what do you have, mm-hmm. you know? And for us, you know, we have so many good orchards here, uh, you know, it's, it's such a good grape growing region. I mean, it, it just makes sense to be working with these folks and using these ingredients. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if we were in a place where... Now, for instance, like when you see uh, like fresh hop beers coming out of areas where they don't grow hops and they're they're having the the hops shipped like overnight, like to me, that's a little silly. I mean, I get, you know, wanting to be, you know, enthusiastic or excited about being able to produce new things. But I feel like that's that's a little silly or going too far. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you, you need to embrace your region a little bit and uh you know, if, if it doesn't make sense, it doesn't make sense, right? Yeah, for sure. Would you say like the essence of being a craft craft brewer then is is expressing the area that you're from? I don't know if I would say it's the essence, but it's certainly um, uh, like sort of a driving motivator mm-hmm. to to or it, it gives you again like maybe like a framework of what what do you want to do, right? Like you have all sort of like different creative directions you want to go. And maybe you need like a nudge this way or that way. And I think that helps you sort of create like a frame. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Uh, makes sense. And especially if you are inspired by a farmhouse way of working, then uh, of course it makes sense. And yeah. it's maybe a bit um, contradicting developments in the, the recent years where more and more it's been uh possible to get all your hops from one part of the globe to another part of the globe all the malts produced wherever on the globe to get it wherever you want to make beer with it you know so you can start uh uh a brewery and and brew the best uh ipas using hops from the northwest of the us uh anywhere on the globe really and it's happening also nowadays so uh yeah that that's uh, relation with the surroundings and with what's growing around you, uh, yeah, also, you, it also becomes less apparent, uh, I guess. And um, yeah, I think it's good that that uh, some people are are keep holding on to that and uh, mm. and <clears throat> yeah, and, uh, yeah, strengthen this relationship with uh, what's around. But do you, Alex? Do you also feel that um, consumers are 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 appreciating that? Uh, I try not to explain consumers; they confuse me. You know? Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, no, I mean, I, I think uh, people, c- consumers like lately. I don't know. Like maybe they a lot want. Um, maybe a lot are looking for a story, you know, or they want to like feel good about, about what they're, what they're looking at. But I, I would encourage consumers to kind of approach things again with like an open mind and, and, and just thinking about what, what they like and what they enjoy and maybe not, not looking for, for things ahead of time. What is your experience of kind of current craft beer movements and trends? We've, we've spoken a little bit about trends and the popularity of craft beer do you have an opinion about the way craft beer is moving? Certainly, <laughs> the, uh, but it's yeah, it's it's been kind of an, a peculiar time. I think um, maybe because the industry has grown so quickly and uh, and to such a degree right now that maybe some some producers are 
I don't know if scrambling is the right word, but um, you know, just trying to find an identity that that allows them to to again like make their business pencil out, and, and that can be really tricky. Um, so maybe some producers are being driven um, with more pressure than what what maybe some of us are sort of used to. Um, and that's, it's, you know, it's shaping the industry a little bit, you know, I think, uh, it's maybe a little bit dangerous to be following trends very quickly. Um, because I mean, if, if you're following trends, like how much are you expressing yourself? You know what I mean? It's, they don't necessarily like need to be at odds, but they often are, I think. And so, um, I think there's, there's a danger in that, you know, like the, it's craft beer, right? It should always be expressive. It should always be creative. And uh, I think that should be uh, a huge focus. And that doesn't mean that everything else goes out the window, but but expression should be at the forefront always, in my opinion. An expression of the beer maker. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah that's an interesting point of view. Uh, yeah, I know, but, but it's also a bit of an... Um, artistic way of looking at it right yeah and i think uh, yeah people refer to that in art also that yeah what is art you know <laughs> but uh <laughs> you can talk about that of course but it is a way of, of saying something and expressing a view or expressing a viewpoint or making a point about whatever you want to talk about and i think or uh, you can definitely do that in beer but it's not why everybody's in there. Yeah. And also, I think also in the beginning of craft beer in the US, it hasn't always been about expressing or making a point, maybe more about creativity or exploring boundaries. Um, so yeah, maybe I'm not sure what, what, <laughs> what, what kind of question comes for this, but what would uh, uh, creativity mean to you? Is it just I mean, trying out new ingredients or, or also having a certain direction maybe? Yeah, it's really about just having a direction. I mean, like it could be about like honoring the terroir that we were talking about earlier, mm -hmm. right? Um, and finding a way to, to sort of distill the, the essence of, of the ingredients into something that you feel is, is expressive in an interesting way. Um, it's, it's difficult to talk about these things with like a consumable product. I think it... It may be easier to talk about it with with music or something like that or, or visual art, but when you start talking about a beverage, it gets it gets a little bit trickier. But um, why is that? You think why? Uh, yeah. Is it because at the end of the day, uh, your beers have got to pay the bills? I think it's 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 maybe the way people view it. I mean, uh, it's. You know, music and visual art has, I think, a more direct purpose than than a beer. You know, like I mean, I, I think that I can I can interpret a beer through that sort of like visual or or audio lens in a sense. Not not specifically, but I, I can I can appreciate it in that way. But I could also uh, enjoy a beer in just a quenching way. And right. so it has this like way bigger range of, of how you experience it or a nourishing way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like it, 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 it covers a big range in, uh, that's a good thing, but I guess the point there is that, is that it can, and you, you can approach it in these kind of more like simple direct ways, or you can approach it in a more sort of intellectual or, or, um, just like a, a deeper way. Right. And everything in between, of course. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever felt? I, I was on your website, and I think it's really spot on. I think it's really well done, uh, the way certain things are, are written on your website. And it's obvious that you're committed to staying small. Like expansion is not a not a priority for you guys. However, you do make a, a hazy IPA, and and there's even comments on that. But do, have you ever felt pressure to make a certain style of beer? And why do you make this hazy IPA then? Yeah, I mean, well, honestly, like our our sort of hazy IPA, it's not really a hazy IPA. It's just, it's an IPA that has some haze. <laughs> mm. 
<laughs> but um but uh yeah i don't know like uh, pressure yeah of course but i mean at the same time like we would never produce anything that we weren't excited about like mm-hmm. all the beers that are on tap at our pub we drink um we being like me and the, the crew that works there but uh i think that's important i mean if if you have a little brewery and you're making beers that that you don't want to drink your staff isn't excited about then what are you doing you know what i mean like there's there's other avenues for you to work i think than uh than running a little brewery so i think it makes sense that you know within a tiny little little business you should be um you know fully behind what you're producing even personally i get that it's a business but it just makes sense i mean why not I, I so I told you on the phone, Alex, that I, I managed to get hold of a couple of your beers, and you did uh, recoil a little bit, I think, because you were maybe worried about the freshness. <laughs> but I, I think, it, I, well, I know I had the the saison vert, and it was the pathways, the other one I had, and my kind of biggest takeaway from drinking them was like they were just so delicious and. Uh, so well, this was my mindset. I, I had them in the fridge. I, I had them an evening last week. And I was like, okay, I'm going to have them tonight. And I thought that maybe they'd be super complex, basically. And I was, I had my girlfriend over and I was worried. I was like, well, you can have a bit of this beer. And she's not a, a big beer drinker or doesn't w- drink weird uh, beers, really. But what <laughs> what shocked me the most was how accessible they were and how exciting and refreshing they were. And, and this was the same with her opinion. She was like, wow, this is really, really nice. And it was it wasn't too complex. It was just kind of exciting and fresh. Um, so what my point is, what, what I'm trying to get to is, is do you think there is a, an accessibility problem with farmhouse beers or, or what uh, is, what are your kind of fans like? What are your kind of, uh, what do people like that drink your beers? Is it kind of the average Joe or is it uh, a mixture? Yeah, I'd say it's a mixture. Um, I th- I think that with with farmhouse beers are kind of tricky, right? I mean, I think a lot of folks. Like, I mean, like we were talking about earlier, people are are often looking for these extremes, and uh, and in farmhouse beers, that in over the years it, it turned into like maybe like a a very funky profile or a very sour profile, and. Um, yeah, we, we try to make our beers, um, you know, harmonious and balanced. Mm. And so, like, the, the acid levels are probably pretty low compared to what's on the market otherwise. Um, the the Britannomyces character is going to be there, but kind of subtle. And uh, it, we enjoy making the beers that way. And then, I mean, how are they getting perceived by folks? I mean, I'd like to think that the the people that are into upright, I think, get what we're trying to do and, and appreciate that, that we're, we're not trying to make the beer um, stick out too much for the sake of sticking out. I mean, we're, we're trying to make something that we just, we think is, is kind of elegant, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, and then it's kind of weird to apply that term to a beer, but um, I, it is what we're trying to do. I talk about it all the time also. It's funny to hear you mention harmony elegance i think it's uh, missing from beer often and it's uh, also one of our great ambitions to um to do that to to have more elegant harmonious flavors in beer i think in that sense there is maybe uh something that uh, that is something that beer makers can learn from from winemakers where I think wines are often a bit more elegant, a bit more harmonious, can be pretty acidic, can be pretty bold, uh, it can be pretty bold flavors in there. But then, yeah, I think often you find more harmony in there than uh, in, in beers that are, um, yeah, often more towards extremes or whether it's bitterness, acidity, uh, barrel character, adjuncts, anything. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really important to to I think maybe you know, like kind of remind people too that you know, the beers that don't stick out 
maybe maybe they requires you know some amount of patience to enjoy right i think maybe a lot of folks gravitate toward the more bold flavors because they're they're really easy to identify yeah and uh and there's that sense of of uh yeah, I, I think that it it definitely requires some patience to enjoy something that's a little bit more subtle, and um, and then maybe that takes a cue from music too, right? If we want to get back to music, mm-hmm. I think that there's there's a lot of great music out there that um, you just got to sit down and listen to, right? And and maybe it's it's a longer piece or it's a slower piece. It's just not as in your face as most pop music, but you know you can get a great a great experience or a great appreciation for something that way, but you have to have the patience to do it. You know, I really like orchestral music quite a bit. And and sometimes I, I wonder about the future of orchestral music in general, right? Because half of these pieces are, you know, 10, 20 plus minutes long. And what kind of audience has, has that kind of time now, or like, or feels like they have that kind of time. And so when I go see the orchestra play here in town, I feel like the youngest guy there and I'm 40 years old, you know, it's just kind of <laughs> crazy. Like, so it's, I think there's, there's a lot to be, I think, learned and, and gleaned from, from having patience. I mean, it, it can really help enrich your experiences, but, but you gotta, you gotta be willing to do that. Thanks for listening to this week's Radio Oedipus. This is brought to you by Oedipus Brewing, and I'm your host, Danny Walker. Today you heard the voices of Sander Nadevane, the head brewer of Oedipus Brewing, Alex Gannum, the brewer and founder of Upright Brewing in Portland, and also Liz Pratt and Linda Van Loan of the Pink Boots Society. To find out more about Upright Brewing, head to their website, uprightbrewing.com, and for more information about Pink Boots Society, head to their social media pages by searching Pink Boots Society Benelux. Remember, you can find all episodes of the show on our website too, which is oedipus.com forward slash radio, and by searching Radio Oedipus on your podcast app. If you use Spotify or Apple Podcasts, make sure you like and subscribe to keep up to date. The music on today's show is written and composed by Ola I Music, and tune in next time for more explorations into the culture of beer. Oedipus.